Hello. Happy Sunday. Blessings to you. What's up, people? Welcome back. Another installment of the 90-something Magnolia podcast. This time, we have a bit of a collaboration, partnership with a new partner, someone that I've met recently, but ended up having a really awesome conversation with. So we'll get to that in just a minute. Before that, I want to send a huge, huge, huge shout out and thank you and send love to every single person who's working to fight through the global crisis that we got on our hands. Big, big, big first preliminary shout out and thank you to the medical professionals that are on what they're calling the front lines just fighting the battle uh, taking care of people at the end of the day i'm sick of all these buzzwords and and all this jargon at the end of the day it's just taking care of people it's making sure that it's empathizing it's putting yourself in other people's shoes and looking at people who kind of might be a quote-unquote patient or maybe just a stranger to you and just thinking about them the same way you would think about your own loved ones. That empathy and that ability to take care of one another is exactly what's going to fix this problem and bring it to a close. And I'm very, very excited and focused on getting to that point and moving past this because it's a really scary time. I've got plenty of loved ones who are on those front lines and who wear scrubs and who take temperatures and who just make a living from helping people. Um, It's understated. It's taken for granted. It's underappreciated. But it's, to me, the most important. Um, People are our only resource that matter. Money is a factor and money makes a big difference and it trickles down and has implications. But none of this matters without the people that make this world go around, um, at least in the specific society that we inhabit and the way that we think about the world. Maybe I'll speak for myself and the way that I think about the world. So like I said, I just needed to take a moment to say thank you. Um, I really appreciate every single person and it's not just the medical industry. It's just everyone who's doing something, whether it's something usual, it's your job or something unusual, you're converting your typical production into something innovative in order to create new resources that are necessary and in short supply or anything along those lines just people who are going out of their way to try to help this situation and also bigger not bigger but equally big shout out to everyone who's keeping a cool calm collected head during this frantic situation um level-headedness is is gold right now um There are powers that be, they kind of benefit and capitalize on our emotional instability. And that's not, what's up? That's not cool. That's not awesome. None of that, that's not, it's not necessary either. So I'm here to do a little bit of the opposite and just try to spread a little positivity and inspiration for the right reasons, which is just to uplift the people around me. Um, so I know I've said many words, but I hope that all makes sense. And I hope you feel it. I hope it resonates because I I do care deeply about this. Um, and maybe it's selfish because I do have those loved ones who are out there fighting the fight. Um, but I'm going to try to keep this mentality for the rest of my entire life and make it infectious because like I said, the work of helping other people, whether it's medically, whether it's from a culinary standpoint and preparing the food that we all eat. Um, and all need to eat, or even the educational workforce and the teachers and professors who were trying to educate us and enlighten us. It's all crucial. It's all critical. It's not entertainment. It's not fun. It's necessary. It's life or death. Um, So I can't express enough appreciation. And now, with that, we're going to transition to a lighter note. Here's our latest episode of the 90-something Magnolia podcast. It is 
like I said, in partnership with Terry Yuan, who is the host of the Engendered podcast, which is a show that is focused on specifically gender-based oppression and using gender as a lens to understand oppression and kind of teach feminism and quote-unquote decolonize hearts and minds one story at a time. So I hope you enjoy. I hope you take bits of insight from it. And if you have questions, of course, reach out, continue the conversation directly or in some other way, shape or form. But um, I thought it was a great conversation and helped me think about the work that I've been doing a little bit more deeply and just a little differently. So big thank you to Terry. Shout out to the Engendered Podcast. Go look that up on all the platforms. I'll put the links in, in the description and show support because she's doing important work and I hope that that work becomes contagious and other people try to uplift those around them with sharing their stories. We all have an important story. Um, so it's time to focus on showcasing that and creating our own narratives. Welcome, ATN. Hello. Thank you. I'm glad we finally were able to connect. We have to be flexible and responsive to all the different demands in our time. So so true. So true. We don't have to be flexible, but we when we can be, we are, and appreciation is necessary. So thank you for being so flexible with my uh, quote-unquote entrepreneurial journey to get here. No problem. So I want to start with your background. You had an English degree, but mm. ended up founding this company, 90-something Magnolia, that required you to teach yourself a lot of skills, one of which was sewing and entrepreneurship. I'm curious, what was your journey like that led you from English to creative entrepreneurship? Oh, the journey was very organic i would say a bunch of going with the flow that accumulated into opportunities and uh, like you said new skills that i didn't necessarily set out on gathering but i learned them along the way and they've been very useful they've created like i said opportunities after college i, I studied english in college like you mentioned Afterward, I was a little unsure of what was, I was very unsure of what was next. Um, and I decided to take a risk and I moved from Connecticut to New York City. A little unsure of what was next, but um, I ended up, because of a friend from college, I had a, a you know, very good person in my life who recommended me for a job at a company in very entry-level role, customer experience, customer service if we're going to call it what it is. Um, and I say that because I'm sure there are so many people out there who've gotten started in a similar way, um, working with people. Learned a bunch about people, and because the medium that I was working in was clothes, it was fashion, it was menswear, along the way I kind of learned and articulated, I love fashion, I love clothes, I love, more importantly, I love style. Were you always someone when you were growing up who cared about expressing yourself through clothes? I was. And I think a lot of that has to do with maybe the generation that I have emerged from, which is the 90s, um, the 90s baby, probably a product of the 80s, but I was raised in the 90s. It was a very specific decade. And I was also an athlete and uh, specifically basketball. Um, I play now when I can, when I have the energy and when I have the schedule for it. But I don't know how familiar you are with basketball culture, but style and fashion is very central. It's a part of the DNA. You mean style out, off, off the court? Both. Oh, in the, on the court too? Both on the court and off the court. I'm not sure which one is more important, but very much in both. But on the court, everybody was wearing the same thing. So how do you get to express no, yourself? No, 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 it's not true. On the court, um, everyone's very nuanced. And um, whether it's things like 
the size of your shorts. Michael Jordan came in the 90s and had larger shorts than most guys had had back in the day. Um, and that's like a super specific decision that he made and it was infectious and inspired people. Um, Allen Iverson, um, cornrows in his hair, and not to mention the, the, the basic huge fact that they all have their own sneakers and the sneakers tell stories and they're details of their lives kind of sewn into the the, the patterns of the, the creativity so all of that's really really central to the dna of basketball mm, and what does self-expression mean to you as an entrepreneur it's an outlet it's therapy it helps get through the day sometimes the day whether your, your career or just life can be a little tough especially in the age of the internet and it, for me, I'm a, I'm a maker. I gravitate towards doing things with my hands and making. I like seeing nothing, having this idea that's invisible, and then having something tangible. And if someone else gravitate towards it, that's a bonus. Uh huh. Well, I ask that because as people of color and minority business owners, both of us and founders, right? For me, actually, my first identity at this point in my life is as a survivor of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And so self-expression is a form of survival for me. And being able to speak and have these conversations and this podcast is a form of truth-telling and, and documenting what's happened, you know, not just to me, but also systemically what's happening to people all over this country and all over the world. And I feel compelled to do it. It's a sur survival mechanism, but also a form of healing. So each time I do it is a form of kind of reinscribing what's happened. Absolutely. It's an exercise in, in building yourself up continually. And I'm lucky enough, and it seems like you've become lucky enough to enjoy the process of, of making these things. And for you, you said it's a survival mechanism. For me, it's therapeutic in a, maybe a similar way, um, but also a very different way, of course. We enjoy, it seems like we enjoy this process of, of figuring it out and seeing it elevate and get better with each iteration. So I, I, love, I don't know. I appreciate that we have that in common. And sharing it, too. It's important. I'll, earlier, you, I mentioned that you learned how to sew on your own. So you were yes. working for this men's fashion company. Right. And then what inspired you to learn how to do that? Was it because you wanted to make your own clothes or you were thinking about designing as a profession? as a transition like i said a big part of my journey at least initially was not knowing what was next or necessarily specifically what i wanted to do which i always struggled with growing up the big question what do you want to do with your life what are you going to do with this degree i always kind of resented those questions just because i didn't have the answer and i don't know i feel like it might be easier if you have the answer but i was just exposed to these things, whether it's clothes or whether it's style, because there are clothes everywhere. There are clothes in the middle of the country, there are clothes on the coasts, there are clothes in other countries, and everyone has a different approach, so that's whatever. But I was exposed to the very specific mentality around the clothes just because I'm in New York City, I'm working at this menswear company. This personal style was in my DNA from when I was very young. I didn't realize that till maybe my the last few years. But I was exposed to all of these things and these resources that I didn't always have and have these resources or I didn't realize that I was exposed to these resources prior to moving to New York City, prior to working where I was working. And that exposure in my curious soul, an entrepreneurial spirit, I guess, led me down a path of, hey, I really enjoy this. And also to the, the times, um, the, the big conversation now around the excess in fast fashion and like it's going green i'm gonna put that in quotes because i'm very cognizant of buzzwords and and labels that can be used as tools to sell things which is like contrary to what all of us are trying to do when we're trying to actually fix problems but the, there's a huge conversation in the world in my work on the internet around we got to do something better i don't know if it's because like winter time is becoming extinct <laughs> in places where people now can talk on the news and things like that 
But I was thinking about how can we, how can I do better? What can I do? I love clothes. I can't buy all these expensive clothes. Um, I don't have the size closet for for one. Um, I don't have the the salary that's gonna allow me to buy the quality of clothes that I love. But I still want them. I gotta make them. So basically, you were responding to a gap in the market. Yeah. Both in price point and quality. I hear craftsmanship, craftsmanship. So attention to detail. These things are all very important to me. For me, clothing, especially fast fashion, like I'm, I admit I'm, I'm not going to say which brands because we're not here to promote, the, promote no, those brands, are, but, but I, I, I shop at like a, one, one of three stores and those stores have price points that are affordable. And I understand, and yeah. I empathize, and I also still do that. I'm yeah. one step at a time, we'll, we'll, we'll fix everything, but it, it, it's gradual. Yeah. So don't feel bad. I don't know, yeah, I just interject yeah. to say, like, you can't feel bad about it, but you have to at least think about it a little bit more if you can. Well, I certainly do now, and I, I've become much more conscious of the material. Most of the reasons that these products can be sold at such low price points is because they're synthetic. They're some sort of plastic. Polyester, right? Yes, it's everything. Yeah, so if it looks like it's wool or if it looks like it's silk and it's, you know, affordable, it's it's because it's polyester. And there are there are so many environmental consequences to that that it's made me rethink and the whole concept of having a uh, a capsule wardrobe, being more conscious and minimalist in what you need, mm. uh, and you know, sort of this idea of like tiny homes too. Sure. Like if you're going to downsize, right? Like I said, this is a theme. I'm exposed to this conversation. You're, what you're saying is exactly what happened. Like it just it happened with clothes, and it's happening with houses. It's happening with cars. It's important. Do you feel the same way? Like be like looking at all these other industries beyond fashion like do you feel that your interest in fashion and seeing the gap in the market that you've started to as a consumer become more conscious for sure yeah Uh, as i've just been further exposed to it i've elevates my consciousness and makes me care about things that i didn't know i should care or could care about before I had a friend growing up who was huge on recycling cans, um, and I was always just like, oh, that's you know, I didn't take it as seriously as I take it now. And I still I don't recycle every can that I interact with in my life right now. Some, when it's convenient, I, try, I do, of course. But then sometimes you just do. Life is happening, and you, you know what I mean? But focusing on whatever is at your disposal and in your control a little bit more every single day and talking to people about it just forces you to, like I said, care about it a little bit more. And then you, your habits change gradually. But I think the gradual changes are the most impactful. I like the fact that you have this philosophy and approach that's not all or nothing. You give yourself permission to be incremental and to make choices here and there when you need to. Sure. Because some people have the approach that, for example, with the environment and climate crisis, that the problem is so big, there's no point in doing anything. Yeah, and it can feel like that. And that's a scary feeling. But I don't... And I would be lying if I said sometimes it doesn't seem like that. Or, But I, like I said, I... I mean, it's just an innately curious person. I love having exciting experiences, so I try to seek them out or design them for myself and others. So that outweighs that kind of, I don't know, I'm going to use a bad word and say pessimism, um, because we are all still here, and it's beautiful outside right now. Um, It's weird because it's March, but it's beautiful outside. We are here having a great conversation, so it's not all bad. A lot of it is crazy and whatever in 2020. Internet, we know what the world is. We see these things. But like I said, it's not all bad. What was the most challenging part of teaching yourself how to sew? Mm-mm-mm-mm. Great question. Most challenging part of teaching myself how to sew was getting started. Probably the same thing that was the most challenging part of starting a podcast. 
probably the most challenging part of no not of anything i'd say the most challenging part of everything is probably consistency it's really hard to be consistent but that's what turns into growth so did you buy your sewing machine first nope oh so you just watched the videos before the actual doing i wanted to do something i think i was like sewing a pair of pants like repairing like i had a pair of pants that i enjoyed and they ripped or something and i like repaired them and I was, I was like, oh, this would be easier with a sewing machine, but I don't have hundreds of dollars to go buy a nice sewing machine. I'm not going to buy a crappy sewing machine. So I bought a needle and thread, which I, I had a needle and I don't remember, but a needle and thread was pure, procured. And I got started and I was like, oh, I can actually sew something. And people kind of saw that I was making things and encouraged me to continue. Encouraging is a big part of my story as well. A lot of people have just been very positive and not all positive is positivity is good positivity i think that's a bit of a myth or whatever but a lot of it is and if it's constructive and it comes from a place of attention to detail it can change someone's life and that's just been central to the work as well but we started with the needle and thread um we saved our pennies and eventually we got those hundreds and whatever i think it was actually a hundred because it wasn't the world's the best sewing machine but it also wasn't the cheapest and like i said entrepreneurially i'm working my way towards a nicer one because i like craftsmanship but um yeah that turned into a sewing machine maybe a year later i think i started sewing things i've always been making things um but talked about the dna of my work in my life playing basketball i remember writing things on my sneakers for basketball just whether it's an inspirational quote or it's a little design I was drawing on my sneakers just uh, instinctively not realizing hey this is design people get paid billions of dollars or millions of dollars to do this I was just doing it for myself I wasn't selling anything it's important for me to keep the consistency of why I started doing this to now um, and I'm elevating it of course which is where the entrepreneurial part is new you bought the sewing machine. Yes. Was that before or around the same time that 90-something Magnolia came into being? Oh, much soon, much earlier. Started sewing by hand 2000, maybe 17, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Sewing machine by 2018, earlier in the year. And then YouTube, because I didn't need YouTube to sew by hand. That's simple. It wasn't good, but it was doable. It's, every, anyone can do that. But then YouTube a year later to learn how to do it good, or at least what I perceive to be good. And good is relative. That's a part of my work as well. Good is just better than the last time. Making clothes, it's multi-step process. There's pattern making. Yep. There's the actual sewing. Didn't and know any of this at first. So every aspect of that you did on your own? <laughs> kind of. I'll give you some, some cheat codes that I learned on YouTube. I just started in a lot of... Uh, designers start this way taking something that you have and this is what I learned on YouTube take it apart <laughs> remake the shapes and sew it back together so take the shapes of this hoodie and literally just dissect them or break them down like a car <laughs> so basically you reversed engineered exactly your clothing uh, for sure and I was exposed and my younger brother found a video online that like explained it in a way that made sense to me because not everyone can explain it some people explain it too fast on youtube some people don't show steps that are re i'm a very visual learner i didn't learn that until way way after college <laughs> it would have been nice to know at that point but i figured it out along the way maybe because of fashion what was the impetus for you to start 90 something magnolia that was because I was making things. I learned to sew, and then I was making things. I think first thing I'm making, really basic things. I don't want anyone out there under the impression that I was on some Marc Jacobs or Tommy Hilfiger or Ralph Lauren stuff. I'm taking two old brands that I love, T-shirts that I love, cutting them in half. That's really easy. Anyone can cut a T-shirt in half. Sewing them together, that's also quite easy. You can do one line if you know how to use a sewing machine. And then that's a, that's a garment. That's a new garment. It doesn't exist in the world before I, I had the inclination to do this. And then I was wearing the clothes. I wasn't doing this for other people. I wasn't selling anything. I was just like, oh, I want a new shirt that no one else has. 
And then I got a couple of compliments. It didn't come in like an avalanche of, hey, you got to make stuff. But a couple compliments turned into more projects, turned into more projects, which turned to me telling people about Because at first I was very quiet about my work because I'm an artist and I'm sensitive. And excuse my English, but Erica Badu said, I think it was Erica Badu. She said, I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit. And I was. But that will also keep you from talking about it. And if you don't talk about it, you can't, sometimes you can't learn about the other, you can't be exposed to new things. And also when you talk about it, you're making yourself accountable publicly. Yeah. And that's huge. I'm learning about that now as well, um, which is why this conversation, part of why this is, conversation is very important to me. Because that accountability is huge and the narrative is very important. You know, people who aren't necessarily the most well-endowed in terms of resources, at least historically, haven't always had the tools and the toolkits to showcase their own work or their own, excuse me, to tell their own narrative or write their own narrative in a professional structured way. So that's not why I do it, but that is a part inherently of, you know what I mean, me trying to grow this into something that is at the very least, helpful. So part of the narrative of 90-something Magnolia and the fashion aspect of the business mm. is the upcycling part, right? Very is that, much. That's intentional. Unintentional, but gradually became intentional. It started, like I said, I didn't have, I couldn't go buy yardage. I didn't, I, I, I want, and I didn't want, like I said, craftsmanship's always been important to me. I don't know. I think of it now as craftsmanship. Back in the day, it was called vanity or being superficial or whatever. I just like nice stuff. And I wanted to make things, but I, I didn't want to make crappy things. So I'd rather go get an old vintage version of a shirt and make it into a new modern classic than anything else as opposed to like going to get some cheap crappy fabric that I might be able to afford but is probably going to end up in a landfill and is going to be less loved than the nice version so just by force because of maybe a lack of resources I was forced to use the resources that I had at my disposal and we can all go to a thrift shop you know what I mean this is not a I'm going to speak about our community we're in New York City I'm from Connecticut um I'm this is the United States, we all have a goodwill, or and I will shout these brands out or these companies because of what they stand for, I guess. Um, the goodwill or the Salvation Army, or places where if you need to, if you have a job interview and you need a suit, you can get a suit for 10 bucks. And I'm not saying you a suit for 10 bucks is the solution to all these or any of these problems, but it could be helpful. And you should know that you, you shouldn't feel like you can't do it just because you can't afford the $500 suit or whatever. So it's just, it wasn't intentional, but it's become a theme, a consistent theme. Um, and I don't want to, like I said, I want to keep the reasons that I got started a part of my, my journey. And another part of 90-something Magnolia is your podcast and your platform that you're building for aspiring creatives. Tell us about that. Of course. 90-something Magnolia is a space for launching projects. Started off as clothes and t-shirts and a space for me to either showcase or potentially sell something that I got compliments on and people said, hey, I want one of those. Where can I get it? I needed a website. And the website now is LinkedIn. You're it's Instagram. It's central. If you want to have something that people can gravitate towards, you have to have a website. That forced me to get a website. It started off as just a space to launch these projects, these ideas. I had ideas in my head and I needed to put some somewhere tangible. I guess whether it's my creativity or this exposure to these things I've had, it was infectious and it trickled over to some of my, my loved ones and my co-collaborators and my partners, like I said, the people that also have ideas and want to showcase them and build them and learn. And those people that I work with the best, or at least the most, and speak the same creative language the most with is my family. I, 90-something Magnolia started off as a space for ideas and it has evolved into a bit of a family business. And sure, I... And the maker who made the idea or came up with the name, I'll put in quotes, 90-something Magnolia. I don't love names and I don't love labels, and I'll say that here for the record. But it's important. It's important. I don't have to like it, but it's important to all you young, aspiring creatives. Think about it, but then move on from it. But what actually, what does 90-something Magnolia mean? Where does the name come from? 
It comes from my origin story, the reasons I got started, where I come from, my journey, life, creative, etc. I got started in the 90s, and so many, some things happened in the 90s. Um, 90s were a very central decade, or maybe not central, but influential, I think. You know, there's some, every decade's important, but some, I think, shape things a little bit differently than others, whether it's the 80s, the 70s, or back in the 30s when crazy things were happening um the internet changed a lot in the 90s it changed everything in the 90s something is kind of this it's an x factor i'm kind of freestyling a little bit with this but something just represents like whatever it is you're doing you can you can turn it into something uh, organized and tangible and and you can grow it and then magnolia is both a beautiful flower and i kind of have a green thumb and plants are important Sidebar, my first possession in New York City that I moved from Connecticut with was a, a plant. And it's one of the, <laughs> the only possessions that I have to this day that I, is, has traveled consistently with me from apartment to sublet to apartment to sublet. It's a very New York City thing. Um, so shout out to the plants. But um, it's, it's also the name of the street that I grew up on okay, when I, I was see. a child, Magnolia Street. Well, magnolias are beautiful. They are beautiful. And I always take photos of them when I see them. And do you remember? Do you know the the, the cultivar? No, you're, call, you're calling me out now. You're getting, we're getting we in can, the weeds we, here. We can look it yeah, up later. We'll, you can tell me. I will send I'm you curious. a photo, and then you can tell me because you are much more well versed on the plant life than I. Well, I I think being a plant parent is also since we're talking about self expression. Yes, it's also a form of self expression for me, but also it's it gets back to what I was saying earlier about how this podcast and speaking is a form of healing. I think parenting plants is a form of also, for me, when I was working in a professional setting where I had my own office and in a great window, um, I had a lot of plants. Mm. And, and that wasn't, every professional setting had its challenges. Sure. And for that particular professional setting, I had a plant that opened and closed every day you know, awesome. based on the sunset, That's right? That's super awesome. Yeah, and so to me, that was like a visual representation every day of hope and change. Yep. And it was really kind of what I needed every day to sort of get me through <laughs> that particular circumstance. That little slice of therapy, like I said, it yeah, makes a difference. Therapy. And every day, it's that consistency of that routine. It feels good, it feels nice. I think humans are creatures of habit. Yeah. Uh, and crazy things happen when we step good or whatever, bad or whatever. Just things happen when you step out of the consistency, like move to New York City or start a podcast or start making clothes. But the consistency can also be really beautiful and helpful. Mm-hmm. So tell us about your podcast. What are some of the conversations that have been most inspiring to you and that you've heard from your listeners have been most inspiring to them? I got started on the podcast and I enjoy the podcast because it's a different outlet. It's different than clothes. Just like your work day, just like your life, just like your family. You always got to shake things up a little bit, step out of this, go have a breath of fresh air over there just to reinvigorate and stay excited, stay curious, just kind of have these different lanes that you can navigate in your life. Or at least for me, I don't know, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but that's what kind of helps me navigate every day. And the podcast was something new for me that I, like I said, I'm super curious and I maybe a year Maybe around the same time I started sewing. I never thought about this actively, but I'm freestyling with my, my, my story here. Maybe around the same time I started sewing, 2018, I also started podcasting. I grew up very much loving music, huge music lover, still am, all kinds. But I had stopped listening to so much music because I realized I'm podcasting all the time. I'm just listening because I'm trying to learn. Um, I'm a visual person. Um, and I'm an English major, but reading books has always been a bit of a ch- challenge for me. Um, I'm a slow reader. I didn't know what a slow reader was as a child. I was just like, oh, why can't? You, why is it taking me way longer than everyone else to get through this page? And that's not that's not a bad thing. It's just because I read words three times to make sure that I understand. But no one teaches you this in school, and it makes you feel discouraged. So now I want to talk to people about it so that no one. <laughs> feels bad about being a slower paced reader or just having a different learning style than everybody else. 
podcast was a different outlet. And then I, I need guests. As you know full well, I imagine sometimes finding proper guests or sensible guests can be difficult. Schedules are hard. Finding interesting stories is hard because everyone has a story, but not everyone is able to package it in a way that makes sense. So I needed to find people who I can really talk to and speak the same language with and be excited with and happy to make something with. And I, I was like, who better to do that than with those same partners and co-collaborators in my family, a.k.a. My, my family, my loved ones, who better to do it with, with than them? So got started with my younger brother. He was a student right now. He's also a creative. Asking him, what are you doing? What's going on in your life? You're doing all of these different things. How does it feel? Just documenting his process because other people can learn from it. Other people will learn from it whether they like it or not. What they learn from it is TBD. Kind of like startup, Gimlet startup. And it's easy to pay, pay attention to and care about something or someone after they've become successful. I don't value that. I value the hard moments that it's like, oh, this is just a weird idea that no one else re either knows about or believes in. But I learned that once you start talking about it, you realize there are other crazy people out there too who kind of will believe in it a little bit and they encourage you and you start believing in yourself. And I had a very wise person tell me that, like, just start doing it and the people around you will support you because they love you and if you get better then the people around them will it grows very organically and i did it with like i said those family it's an extension of this family business that i keep alluding to i like the idea that you're showcasing a journey that's in progress with no outcome yet that you're aware of and so you're basically celebrating the process itself and not the outcome necessarily and not the result because we're so focused in our society on winning, just part of like our patriarchal kind of definition of what success is, and less about the process, which defines the ethics of it, your value system, how you get there, the how versus the what and the when. Which is why I'm the, that is all. I don't know, that was a lot of words you said, but they're all very important and specific And that. If we could smash that into a title, that's what I want to convey with my work, the process versus this outcome. Uh, an outcome, I, I guess I value the process more because everyone, one, I'm a little contrarian, I guess. I'm a little artistic. I don't know. I just try to go with my own flow as opposed to the main thinking or mainstream idea or whatever but um just getting started learning that is central um this process letting it evolve and i didn't start off that way like i said i started ha if i learned to sew in 2018 i bought a moleskin notebook shout out to moleskin i will say that brand because it helped me it's very it was a i consider i have this philosophy of power tools and not, uh, you think of a power tool, a tractor trailer, you think of a buzz saw, you think of whatever, I don't know. Things that make things happen. <laughs> you get results done with power tools. My power tool, and I thought about this concept, came from 2016. I'm open sourcing it. I'm giving it away because it's more useful out there than it is in here. And in, if it comes from the right place, which it does, it will come back to me. But um, my power tools are my cell phone. My power tools are my laptop. My, I was able to hit you up and communicate, hey, running a little behind schedule, please bear with me. You were receptive, and that changed this entire experience. Um, that's a powerful thing to make happen. My moleskin notebook, I had a friend who's, my, my relationships can also be power tools if you care about them and grow them, who said, I was having all these ideas. Like I said, I'm very curious and creative person and ideas can be dangerous because you have so many of them and they're bursting off in your head a mile a minute and that's overwhelming and that's discouraging if you don't we like results humans so I have just kind of learned to showcase and open source my process and other people have learned alongside me which is where I think a lot of that encouragement comes from so you and I met at refashion week yes and you had an opportunity to, I'm guessing, meet some of your peers in this space. Yes. yes. People who are either upcycling or recycling yes. or um, are, are examples of sustainable fashion yes. and reducing waste in fashion. Yes. 
What were your thoughts about Fashion Week? Did you come away with any kind of inspirations? Absolutely. Um, my inspiration that I walked away with was just more of this positive reinforcement. It just I kind of look at life. You're walking down a road and you get signs that say stop or go. And it's just another sign that says, dude, keep doing what you're doing. Do it better, of course. Do more of it, of course, always. But, but keep doing it. Um, I started this creative journey on YouTube.com. It's a power tool. Um, anyone can go on YouTube. You can go sit in McDonald's and find a device. And we all have devices. If you don't have a device, I'm not talking about you. But if you have a cell phone or laptop, you can go there. And some people started their design journey with a full ride to FIT. Or, and there's no shade to that at all. I love that. That's your journey. Um, and it's useful. You have way more technical skills than I have. And right now, I'm, I'm hungry for those technical skills. But that wasn't my journey. And for my YouTube tinkerings and late night sessions to evolve into this professional showcase that not only has introduced me to people, but I've sold my work in person as an artist for the first time ever, that is a sign that says keep going. Um, and I need to, one, listen to that sign. I don't want to sound all hippy-dippy or anything like that, but I just, I, just listening to what the things that are, ha or paying attention to the things that are happening in my life and trying to just... A, make the most of them, and two, just be strategic with them. So the inspiration was just keep doing what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing yet, like you kind of alluded to, but you're doing something. The fact that you and I are here right now having this conversation on this date is, a f is evidence of that. And then two, the fact that I can now say, quote unquote, I'm a designer, and I told you about these labels that I'm weary of. But technically, I did a design. I showcased my work as an artist and as a designer, and that's invaluable. Uh, no one can ever take that away from me. And I will continue to manifest opportunities for myself and others based on that thing that grew from a seed of YouTube <laughs> tinkering at like 2 a.m. when my girlfriend's like frustrated with the sewing machine being messy. <laughs> You were talking earlier about that archetype of an FIT student, you know, versus you who's basically self-taught sure. designer. What differentiates you from someone like that? What are some of the advantages that you have that may help you in your journey that someone with a more established traditional academic background in a certain trade may not have? Um... I can't speak to that. I can't speak to advantages or disadvantages because I've never been that person who had those opportunities. I've only been my, so I can only speak about my process and what I have had access to. Um, similar to those basketball stories, like I, that's why I got started. Um, so I don't know about disadvantages or advantages. I can't, I, can't, I can't concretely describe that, but I do know what has helped me go from the ideas in a moleskin notebook to talking to people about an event that I showcased my work in was this resourcefulness, just being scrappy, which is an upstart mentality, you know what I mean? You don't have to have learned on YouTube. Some people are uh, business students who have, I don't know, a business MBA from Harvard, and they get capital, and they use it creatively, and that's scrappy too. But my version of scrappy was different, but scrappy is scrappy, and you're like, I want to do something? I'm going to figure out how to get it done. I don't know what it's going to look like, but we're going to get there and it might look a little different at the end, but we're going to get there and it's going to be good. And if it's not good, at least I'm going to have learned and enjoyed the process and I can always move away from it or move on to something new at any point, which is that's the thing about an entrepreneur. It's That's the difference between a career and an entrepreneur. You, you're in control of this. I can step away and do other things or additional things at any point. That's why I got started. That's why I started sewing, because I don't have to wait for some production team to send me garments that I paid a whole bunch of money for. And if they're wrong, now I got to freak out and the rest of my years changed. I would challenge you challenge around, me, challenge me, challenge me. <laughs> around the concept that people with, with greater sources and larger sources of funding right. might be more creative and innovative 
potentially because they are going to be circumscribed in their activities. They're going to be more risk averse, right? Because they're managing true. to a a profit line Very true. that is going to be predictable potentially, totally. and they're going to be less willing to make tweaks that are going to jeopardize their sources of you know sustainable funding, right? Have to take the safer approach. Yeah. Because you need a specific outcome, whereas I need an outcome, but it's ever-evolving. And also you're talking, your whole point is talking about the process, that fact that the process is dynamic and you have, if forgive me for using this term, but if I may, you have a North Star, but you don't actually have a a predefined journey or path for getting there. Totally. It's super important. And I like that North Star analogy, but yeah, it's very valid and accurate. The the North Star is success, and I measure success by, are you better off? Are you more resourceful? Are you happier than yesterday? Or or if you're not, are you working more than you were towards it? Just doing a little bit more or a little bit better? Sometimes more is less. Sometimes you could be more strategic so you don't have to do all this work. Are you doing more of whatever you, wherever you want to be getting? And success is relative. It's so important. I'm going to emphasize that again because sometimes you're just thinking about that salary or that shiny thing, that whatever it is. It's so different for everyone. So different for everyone. They don't teach you that, but it's true. Are you expanding your toolkit every day or or caring and thinking? If that's what you want to do, some people don't want to do that. Some people are okay. Uh, I think I'll use a scary bad word that is complacency. Some people might frame that as complacency, but I don't necessarily think it's only complacency. Some people just don't have the energy to do all this, to to focus on expanding their toolkit, or that's just not what they value. They're okay where they are, and that's okay too. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's just not what I'm doing. That's not where I'm at in my process. So like I said, I can't speak to any of that. Uh, I can only speak to trying to expand my abilities and trying to provide inspiration or encouragement or opportunity to the people around me who are like-minded. And I will also emphasize the fact that like-minded people come in all shapes, forms, sizes, colors, creeds, experiences. So that's why I don't bucket any of this as a fashion brand or very, very ugly word that I, I'm going to say ugly because I'm going to take a stance. Um, Coded language type of word is the word urban. I don't appreciate that word because it means something that you're not saying, not you, just the industry or whatever, the powers that be, whether goal or process is so different. And I just want to like empower your process, no matter who you are, no matter what it is, just because I'm not good people around me who did that for me. And that's why I was able to do what I feel are interesting experiences in a really beautiful place. Getting back to your dislike of the term urban, is that because of the people that it tends to define as the producers of that or the targets of consumption or is it more about cultural appropriation potentially it's more about it's less about the word urban and more about these labels in general urban is just a very specific label that kind of a lot of people are familiar with but there's also a bunch of other ones that are similar that i could also explain in a similar way but Specific to the word urban, I don't, I don't know. I just don't like, I think that you're talking about a specific type of people and you're trying to make it seem like you're talking about a much larger group of people than you actually are. And I don't like that. I feel like that's a bit of, that's a little bit manipulative. It, and some Can, people. I think I need you to explain sure, that sure, a little sure. bit more for me. Sure, sure, sure. Sure, I'm totally happy to. And I won't get too deep on it because it's not about that conversation, but it's a part of it. I think usually when the term urban is used, it's what you're referring to, sure, people in the city, people... Uh, you mean the consumers or, or the fashion style are people in the city versus... Just lifestyle, not fashion. It could be the way you shop. That can be a bucket for groceries. That could be considered urban. You got... Now Whole Foods is kind of becoming urbanized where it's like in the city, whereas before it wasn't. And that's a version of urban, which is... Wait, so are you saying that it's derogatory because it's being commoditized? No, it's not derogatory, but long story short, I think when people use the word urban, a lot of times it can, you're referring to either black people or people of color. 
whereas it's communicated in a way that makes it seem like it's just like, oh, this is everyone in the city. So it is about cultural appropriation. Sure, sure. And yeah, maybe it's like a subset of cultural appropriation. This, this, this specific language is like a, is a byproduct of cultural appropriation, which I'm kind of thinking through this. I'm freestyling right. so, a little bit so right like, now. So like, you know, clothes from the, the inner city. Right. And now it's become kind of like hip hop. It's consumed by all kinds of people, all ages, all ethnic groups yeah. and generations. And yet there's been no acknowledgement of its roots and sources. That's true. And, and those roots and sources aren't getting a share of the profit. That is a true fact, I, would, I think, um, based on the little bit of context that I have about all these industrial powers that be. Um, but I don't know. If I just think if you're going uh, to, more than anything, in terms of the word urban specifically, I just think it can be misleading. Like, who are you talking about? Are you talking about people in the city? Are you talking about black people? Are you talking about people of color? Because they all mean very different things. And I think that that misleading component can just, can be potentially harmful, um, depending on the confusion that it creates. So what about other terms like the term sustainability? That's, that's a term that comes up often totally. in this space. And in, in Refashion Week, totally. sustainability was in almost every panel or every branding, right? Oh, yep, Sustainable sure. fashion. Right. How do you feel about that? I feel like sustainable, and mind you, we're talking about words now, and words are very specific and nuanced, so I'm happy to talk about it. We're getting in the weeds here. Um, but sustainable is a newer term and because it's new and it's like maybe new in the last, I don't know, you correct me if I'm wrong, five or 10, maybe 15 years, at least on the customer consumer facing side of this industry, because it's so new and it's like a thing that people are thinking about differently now, having this, this term helps people just get on board and understand like, this is a really big problem. I don't prefer labels at all, so I would rather say, hey, let's fix the world, let's stop global warming, let's talk about the specific things that we're actually talking about, rather than just use this sustainable word that is often part of marketing campaigns. And I don't believe that it was a part of a marketing campaign for Refashion Week, you know what I mean, inherently. Otherwise, I don't think I would have been a part of it if I, if I felt averse to the con- how they were concepting the, the project. But I would rather just specifically use, use, like I said, language is impactful. You can change the world of language and how you say these things, or you can like destroy someone's life. We've seen that very recently in the news or whatever, the internet. So I like that. I don't like the just the vague element of these words that can kind of have different implications for different people. Let's actually talk about the people or the communities that we're talking about or the problems that we're talking about. Let's. This event is to encourage recycling or creative reuse because we are trying to reverse climate change or put a Band-Aid on it or whatever you're trying to do specifically. I didn't come up with refashion, so that's not my definition to make, but let's talk about the specifics. Are you saying that terms such as the word sustainable can be in some ways masking the privilege of those who get to use it to describe themselves and their behaviors so it's still there's an element of privilege that comes with these labels like to be someone who's consumer of sustainable fashion you have to first know what that term means and then you also have to be someone who rejects fast fashion you have to be able to have the time and the resources sure. to create your own things and to choose something that might be more expensive and that not necessarily in financial cost but in time cost and learning like you did and it may be easier just to go to a, a store that sells things at a low price point which is why i sometimes still do and i don't that's true that's very true um you can only affect what you know about and have access to and I'm really fortunate I've been really I'm not the most fortunate or I am the most fortunate actually I would take that back and you can keep that in I am the most I am very fortunate I'm blessed I enjoy my life Um, has it been easy totally no thousand percent no I've had hard learning moments recently and back in the day in the 90s and in the 2020s but I've been exposed to really awesome opportunities and places to learn and people to introduce me to new things and unfolding 
process, every evolving process of just learning new cultures and new philosophies and new tactics. So I try to take some of that fortune that I've been has <laughs> been bestowed upon my my life and my creative process and make it as infectious as possible. That's important to me. That's central to my work. I guess it is a bit of a luxury to be able to think and care about these things. Um, and I, I guess my 90-something Magnolia entrepreneur part of it is to make it less of a luxury and more of just like, this is normal. Like, I don't have 100 garments in my closet and I only wear 15 garments nine months out of the year. I, I encourage someone, this is a slice of life that I have taken from a wise person that I worked with a few years ago and he shall rename nameless but he said go to your closet and count how many garments are in there he said the word garment I didn't use to use the word garment I used to say clothes or pieces of clothes or whatever but garment now I kind of see clothes more of as art or expressions of one's extensions of oneself I, uh, the word garment is important count how many garments you have in your closet and then think about how many garments you actually wear and I grew up with sneakers. I'm a sneaker lover. That's, if you know, you've been living in New York City, so you know the Knicks specifically from the 90s. I, or I don't know how close you were, but that was huge in New York City culture, American culture, sports culture, which is very universal language. It's also an excessive, it, excess is inherent in that culture. It has been thus far. Maybe I could do a little bit to move the needle to make it 1% less or more less excessive but i had i remember closets full of sneaker boxes how many pairs of sneak i might wear i might have worn them all but now i'm going two months changing my shoes every day just so i could keep them all fresh and clean but it's like i don't know maybe it's the organic uh end result of having a tiny new york city apartment i can't do the shoes like that anymore or maybe it's like i don't care about the shoes I, just, I love shoes and I'll always love shoes. I'll, I'm on this journey for the same reasons that I got started on this journey. But now I'd rather have one really nice pair of shoes than have five like whatever pairs of shoes. And I didn't start that like, oh, I want to make the world more sustainable. But I've just elevated my consciousness and thinking about the way I can make my life better. I do think it's better for the world. And I think it's infectious. And that's like that infectious component here is powerful. Well, I think this is a great segue into our concluding questions. The engendered questionnaire. First question, what is at stake in the struggle to end gender-based violence and oppression? That's a big question. I have to think about that for a moment here. <laughs> the most important thing, I think, people, lives. And I would love to know what you think about, I guess, my answer to that question, because that's a heavy question. and. I don't, I'm no expert in that side of life, you know, but I'm a sponge and I learn, so I'm curious how you think about, you know, me saying live people. I, I'm a people person. I value people. I value the process that comes along with doing things with people. So to me, that's like the biggest thing that is at, at stake. But I'm curious what you would say. Well, this is the first time someone's asked me that question Sorry, during, during, I no, no, it's okay. okay. No, it's fine. I just, I want to make sure that this is a space for you to yeah, share your story. But um, I, of course, because of the work that I'm doing, I think everything is at stake. And gender, you know, if we can understand gender and have a gendered lens to analyze and interrogate power, mm. then we can see this as the source of so many of our social problems and also as the solution. The chain reaction solution. Yeah, and that's why we're having this conversation about sustainability because how we treat women in our society is how we treat each other, is how we treat animals, is how we treat the planet. And so that really is the source of kind of all anyway evil in some ways and also of ending that for sure next question do you have a question for me or can i ask you a question oh sure yeah but i'm curious just advice give me advice i'm a man how can i be a better dude how can i be a better man i want to i think my medium is clothes but a bigger medium is just life just being here so how can i do it a little bit 
give me one specific piece of well, advice. Well, I think one thing that you can do is you can download our podcast on Castbox, and I'm okay. not joking. Okay, okay, okay. Um, okay. Because, like I was telling you earlier, yes. our podcast. The goal is really to build a cultural literacy around yes. abuse and abuse of power. For sure. Right? And all of its manifestations. Totally. So if we don't have that literacy, we're unable to translate when something happens in one space and the same tactics are being used in another space. Mm. And we think that these things are siloed or one-offs mm. or individual Listic, you know, especially around interpersonal relationships. Totally. And so to that extent, we don't see or we or we mask either intentionally or unintentionally the systemic structures that make this happen. And if we see the patterns, then we can see that these experiences and these tactics are so universal that there are common causes for them. Mm. And when you identify the cause, then you can start working towards yep. responding to the symptoms. We're not just having a band-aid to the symptoms, right? And then once you have yep. once you have and then part of why I say download the podcast is because once you see that the conversation around beauty and fashion and lifestyle is related to the conversation around democracy, is related to the conversation around education and poverty and systemic discrimination at the workplace, then you can see that policies can actually not just be responsive to one area, but they can be created to be responsive to multiple areas at once. Can and be more resourceful with your strategies right, and your yeah. tactics. And also then you can start having conversations where you can build capacity because so much of what people don't have is the capacity to hear these stories. And part of the reason they don't have the capacity is because it's, it's so visceral in some ways. Sure. It, it you know, touches sure. upon things that they don't have words to describe sure. and people don't have the ability to hear. And so once you're having these, basically the toolkit that I'm building, mm -hmm. right? Once you're building these toolkits, you have the ability to d dismantle <laughs> what we want to and build what we want to. Makes perfect sense. And real quick, I'll interject because we talked a lot about language and words. And I kind of hated on buzzwords a little bit. But shout out to the buzzword toolkit and i'm using that because i hope it makes you understand the things that i'm talking about so i do understand the word for these uh, these bucket i do understand the need for these buckets in terms of helping people understand what we're talking about but i just want to make sure that we're not limiting or misconstruing anything which is why it was specific about buzzwords and things earlier but i love your use of the words toolkit so i want to shout that out real quick thank you so the next question is, what gives you hope? People, same answer. Younger people often, I have young, I, I'm an elder sibling of a large family, and just new perspectives, ideas, voices, processes, approaches, refreshes and excites me. I'm cur I don't know if it's because I was born this way or something happened in my life along the way that made me really curious. I like I love to learn, and they are so uh, forward-thinking because... I don't know why. I'm still learning why they're so forward-thinking kids. Um, but it's very inspiring, and it like keeps my eyes wide. People. And final question. What can we do more of, less of, start or stop to end gender-based violence and oppression? More conversations. More talking about it. That's I'm big. I've been saying this for the, all year. Um, talk about it. The problems the the learnings the the lessons and you, you don't have to talk about it with everyone you don't have to talk about it with anyone you could talk about it in the mirror to yourself you could talk about it in the corner with a book it doesn't but talk about it express yourself uh get it out because these things happen and you keep it bottled up and it just becomes overwhelming and clouds judgment and weighs on our lives so talk more more conversations in whatever way makes sense to you. It could be a podcast. It could be a YouTube documentary. It could be you playing video games with your friends and you're talking smack. You're talking smack and just whatever. But then you can also step aside and have a deep conversation with those friends about hard things in school or whatever. Talk about it. The internet has divided people more than ever. 
and that's super dangerous and scary. So I'm gonna go back to that pessimism a little bit. That's really it's very related to the global stuff. But um, people can scroll like experts, but we can't necessarily talk to random people in a comfortable way, and that is important. It's just it's a uh, lost art, but uh, it's important art to me. So talk more, value opinions less, maybe. Trust your own process. Trust yourself. We all are blessed in this life with some kind of thing that is is some kind of tool. It might be one tool at first, and it might not. Be, it might be a dusty old tool that needs to be polished and whatever. But it's one tool. Uh, you might not even have a toolkit yet, but you got a tool. That tool could be just air in your lungs. That tool is air in your lungs. That if you have that, you're here, and that's you can see that sun out there, or I don't know if. They have the sun in other parts of the world anymore, but if you're here, you got that one tool. Um, you can use that to collect other tools and to do things for yourself that you wanted to do or didn't know you wanted to do. You didn't realize that drawing on sneakers was fashion design when you were like 13 years old. Valuing other people's opinions less, I think, will keep you empowered and encouraged and value your own opinion more than you value other people's opinion sorry that's not a less but it's important i think start doing what you enjoy and if you don't know what you enjoy just start doing random things go play chess in new york city the park's free it's an awesome park you can take photos start taking photos and posting them on instagram if that's what you want to do a lot of people are kind of grossed out by the idea of social media whatever but there's people make changing their own lives and changing their loved ones lives because they were creative on social media start whatever it is start sewing by hand you'll have a sewing machine next summer <laughs> or it might be two summers from now but eventually you have a sewing machine start a podcast eventually you'll get a guest start questioning this what you're doing like why am i doing this but question it with intentions of getting where you want to get to uh, everyone wants to get somewhere different but you're not going to get there if you're just kind of meandering and you're not thinking about these things and i think because of the internet or because of the powers that big buzzword that i do think is important is propaganda sometimes it's easy to meander but think about what you're doing and and care about it thank you so much atn for joining us today Thank you.